How do you fit more airplanes into a finite national airspace? Coming up, the latest on reducing miles in trail from NBAA's Air Traffic Services. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. New technology and new procedures are coming online at the Air Traffic Control System Command Center in Washington, D.C., spreading out to the entire national airspace. NBAA's Air Traffic Services, of course, is based at the command center near Dulles International Airport in Washington. So what are some of these recent innovations? Well, let's talk to the team. Ernie Stellings, the Senior Manager of Air Traffic Services, Dean Snell, who's the manager, and John Kosak, the Weather Manager at Air Traffic Services. Guys, thanks so much for joining us here on NBAA's Flight Plan. Fitting an ever-increasing number of aircraft into the NAS is always a challenge, but even more so in the spring when the weather could wreak havoc on flight schedules. So, Ernie, what kinds of tools and innovations are we talking about here at the command center? There's a number of tools that the FAA utilizes to to try to manage capacity and demand in the system. And so there's the uses of ground delay programs, which are specific to airports that kind of, uh, you know, balance the demand at the runway and for arrivals and things like that. Then they have, you know, the uh, airspace flow programs, which are basically uh, lines in the sky that, that basically meter traffic through you know, defined areas, you know, most of the time it's traffic into the Northeast. So there's some ones I went in the wintertime down to Jacksonville and to Miami. But basically all those tools they use are, are specific to trying to, to really manage that capacity demand picture every day. Dean, is that a pretty robust toolbox? Definitely diverse. And there's, there's quite a few different ways that they try to manage the airspace via these initiatives. And uh, you can include reroutes, ground stops when needed, but the FAA has a robust amount of tools. However, they're consistently trying to find ways to both accommodate the increase in traffic as well as increase efficiencies with automation and with better tools. John, we're talking in essence about reduction of miles in trail. Miles in trail is quite literally how close aircraft can follow one another on a certain route, yes? Yeah, absolutely, Pete. And uh, miles and trail is going to vary with the needs of the airspace that they're traveling through. Uh, My favorite topic, of course, is weather. And if we're trying to manage traffic through an area with some thunderstorms tactically, uh, a lot of times they'll give aircraft more miles and trail to allow them the opportunity to deviate around those storms. Weather is always a lot of fun, especially this time of year. Tell me about some of the ways, Dean, that we have been able to do this um, when we talk about some of the tools that ATC Command Center has at its disposal. And and not just ATC Command, but also this is all the centers around the country, right? Correct. And um, one of the tools that the FAA implemented over a, a decade ago uh, was developed by NASA and it's um, TBFM. Basically, it's, it, it's metering through automation. They use that quite a bit at the core 30 airports in the Northeast, um, Newark, Philly, um, Atlanta, Charlotte. And that tool is used primarily for flights departing internally within the center where that airport is located and also the adjacent facilities. Um, So say out of Washington up to New York. Uh, It does not extend uh, past that point. 
So that's where you'll see the mile and trail come in. Um, we're like, say, out of uh, Miami Center, Jacksonville Center, heading up into the Northeast. They're not going to be part of that TBFM world. Uh, and that's where, you know, we see quite often pushbacks of mile and trail all the way down to Florida. And, and that's what we're trying to improve on. And the FAA is, is focused. Ernie, the goal is modified starting in April in order to reduce the MIT throughout the national airspace. Tell me a little bit about what that goal is per quarter and how that might really make a big difference. Yes, so the uh, the FAA leadership team uh, in, in working with some of the industry members uh, came up with a goal of basically trying to reduce mile and trail 2% uh, per quarter for the uh, for the first three quarters of this coming year starting April 1st. And so while 2%, it doesn't really sound like a, a huge number, but when you, when you extrapolate that over the number of airplanes and the uh, that are operating the system every day, um, it, it could be a pretty substantial, you know, at least savings for all the operators in terms of uh, re- reduced fuel cost and time and that type of stuff. And so the goal is really to, to make sure that uh, they, they look at each of the different facilities and see opportunities where they can kind of decrease the mile and trail. Because a lot of times they'll put out static mile and trail for different areas just based on historical things. And they're expecting traffic to be a certain way. So they so they put a certain mile and trail out almost daily. And, and so part of the mandate is really to look at those each of those facilities and, and question really whether they need that mile and trail or not. And um, so that's part of what they're trying to do as part of the savings. Ernie's absolutely right. You know, you talk about there's 5,000 aircraft per hour operating in the national airspace system on average throughout the day. So while 2% doesn't seem like a a big deal uh, when you first start talking about it, when you get down to that 5,000 aircraft per hour, all of a sudden you realize that one or two extra aircraft here or there means several hundred more people getting to their destination. Dean, maybe you could jump in on this. We're talking especially about two particular parts of the uh, national airspace, New York and Washington. Yeah, you have the Northeast Corridor, which is easily the most complex and the most congested airspace in the country. Um, So that area gets a lot of focus. Um, and, And as I had mentioned before, with the TBFM and metering off of those first tiers, Um, That metering is based on getting aircraft into an overhead stream. So quite often that overhead stream is already quite full. So finding that space in the overhead stream is usually what is the the, the major constraint. So even though you're only a 40-minute flight away from New York, um, you you can sit on the ground in Washington or or other points uh, there on the first-tier facilities for you know, for more than the actual flight time, uh, you can sit on the ground hour, hour and a half looking for a spot in that overhead stream. So you know that's where a lot of attention on the FAA side, in conjunction working with uh, industry, is that we're trying to find a way to help those flights that are close in not get those excessive delays. John, one of the ways that they've managed to do that is uh, they've come up with some creative routes. Uh, out of Washington up to the New York metros. And uh, while those involve a little bit of extra um, mileage, uh, they can get traffic moving sooner as opposed to having to wait for that hole in the sky that Dean was talking about. So the the FAA is really working to try and make things better, uh, just little pieces at a time. One of the other things, too, and this is, you know, there's not necessarily an awareness of this, but a lot of us with uh, air traffic services are engaged in other 
activities uh, for future automation enhancers and things like that. So when Dean talks about TBFM and how it's uh, at certain core airports and, and it's actually being expanded throughout the system more, there are actually a lot of projects we're involved in on the side that, that actually are looking at some of these future things and how to link the system together so that, you know, as they move to a more time-based metering system view, you know, basically point-to-point type of stuff, um, that, that we have a handle on that and we're, we're engaged. Marty, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so um, so there's some different work groups out there that we, that we've been engaged in. Mostly, mostly Dean and I for the for the most part of these, but it works with NASA and some particular studies that they've been doing, trying to figure out you know what's the best way to to uh, make TBFM more enhanced. You know, how, how do they get it instead of just to one particular airport to basically feed from the whole system? So you know, a flight departing from the West Coast could be metered all the way across to the East Coast. And it'd be a lot more efficient than using mile and trail because the automation's much better at, at basically delivering the airplanes to the runway. John, a moment ago, you were talking about some of the various workarounds, if that's an appropriate term. Uh, for instance, getting through D.C. up toward New York and, and sort of this creative routing. Can you can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like? And, and is there a way that we as pilots, flight crew, dispatchers, sketch, is there a way that we can help further that cause? There are a number of tools that the FAA makes available to the general flying public. Uh, so that's, for, you know, for those of us in business aviation, general aviation, uh, and even the commercial aviation people use some of these tools uh, at the fly.faa.gov uh, website. Um, and one of those tools is the, you know, they have the current reroutes. So some days when it's super busy, they'll put out actual recommended routes to try and help people better navigate in the national airspace system. And, you know, a lot of times they put these out as recommended, and that's basically their way of saying, hey, we know this route's a little bit longer, but uh, if you take this, um, you're not going to get as delayed because you're going to be going through less congested airspace the miles and trail associated with this particular route are going to be less than what you're on on the normal preferred route. To John's point, um, you know, the FAA has been utilizing um, a lot of these uh, specific low altitude routes. They, they call them sermon routes. They're out of New York. There's the flyer routes uh, and there's duct routes. Uh, there's different names. And, and like John said, you can find these in the uh, in the reroutes page when they're active. And so a lot of times they'll come out as recommended because they're basically offering the operator an opportunity to, instead of waiting for you know the higher level gates that may be saturated and delayed, you know they could actually take one of these lower routes, get out faster, and it actually creates less uh, delay for everyone because then you've, you've taken some of that demand picture out of the other higher altitude gates. And so it, it's kind of better for everyone. There's a fuel burn issue, but I would imagine that that's kind of mitigated by the fact that you're not sitting on the ground for 90 minutes. Exactly. And, and, you know, they've, they've have it. So when you look at the advisory, I mean, it's not like they're going to give you that, that route to California, you know, no one's going to take that, but, but they try to make it so within a geographic area down to DC and some of these other places that, uh, you know, operators are willing to take that. And you're, and you're exactly right. There is the question of fuel burn and, and it's really a matter of, you know, what's more important to get going or to burn a little more gas. Pete, I would add, um, you know, specifically Ernie had mentioned the, the sermon routes and, there's a Sermon South route out of New York to to Washington Center, and of course, including Washington D.C. metros. And we've actually seen that route required on on days where uh, weather is taking away a good chunk of the airspace. 
Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, operators can utilize that route and get into Washington without sitting on the ground for 90 minutes. Once again, the downside, as you had mentioned, is the fact that they're going to be at six or 8,000 feet the entire route. But I know the vast majority of our operators would rather be uh, heading to, towards their destination than sitting on the ground for an hour plus. The, the nice thing about this stuff is that, you know, you, instead of just the old days of sitting on the ramp for hours waiting for the gates to open up based on weather and all that, you know, the FAA is actually being more proactive in terms of offering solutions for the operators to, to get out, you know, and, and uh, whether it's, uh, you know, taking a look at the different altitude spectrums and, and utilizing some of that stuff that, that doesn't necessarily have the old traffic that it used to have back in the 90s with, you know, more of the, the turboprops and things like that. Let's take a moment and talk about something called PERTI. The Dean, that's... P-E-R-T-I, and it stands for Planning, Execution, Review, Training, and Improvement. What's this all about? The PERTI process has been in place for, for over a year now, um, and it, it was a plan to, to basically look at or, or look out and ahead and plan you know, the next day's initiatives, um, looking at the constraints at first, obviously, and then deciding what initiatives might be appropriate. Um, and this allows industry to make plans in advance, um, be it routings um, or be it at least the expectation of knowing that we're likely to see a ground delay program. So PERTI is a relatively new tool, and if I understand it correctly, this is uh, ATC's crystal ball program. That's a great way to describe it. It's, uh, you know, currently we're getting together uh, mid-afternoon the day before. We get everybody on the line uh, from the facilities to the operators, and it's an opportunity to get a weather briefing from the National Weather Service meteorologists at the command center. Uh, and then the usually it's facilitated by one of the national traffic management officers from the command center who's going to be on duty during the day the following day so uh, this person has a vested interest in making sure that uh, everybody's kind of prepared for what we might run into on the following day as far as which initiatives uh, might be worth using which initiatives might be worth looking at and making sure that uh, we're kind of all on the same page so that we don't run into surprises uh, on the following day. And uh, it's it's gone through some iterations in the past, but uh, this current product seems to be uh, fairly well received by the operators as far as being able to, they're not setting rates or anything, so that doesn't scare anybody the day before, but it definitely helps being able to understand what to expect on the following day. So, Pete, you know, I'm active with the Purdy uh, CDM team, and we actually met this week uh, to discuss really, you know, like Dean said, they've done a lot with the planning and a lot with the execution. And now they're really focused a lot on the review because we feel like that's an area that's always lacking. You know, we have these events that occur and then we have kind of like a, a call the next day to kind of quickly review them. But then we don't really learn our lessons from what we did and we keep repeating the same mistakes. And so part of what the team is trying to do is really break down specific days and analyze them to kind of take a look at, you know, what what happened? What was the traffic really like? Where were areas that they could have had better capacity or or manage the system better and 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 use that later on to train and improve, you know, the last two letters of the process. And so if you look at some of the initiatives for this coming year, you know, um, there, there was a comment uh, in this uh, VP plus one meeting that we were talking about earlier where they said that they want to engage industry stakeholders in the party review and training processes and integrate. It says the 
ATO and, and, and some of the operators into the planning process. And so part of that is definitely new to, to what we've done before is that they're looking to start a test in uh, April 1st where they would actually allow uh, two operators to come in and actually sit with the Purdy team every day. And, um, and it's really uh, from a, a learning standpoint, like the FA is interested in learning you know, how the operators react to the plans that the FA does. And so that's a piece that's always been missing is that you know, they don't understand how the operations centers work for the different operators out there. And so while they're creating this plan, they don't really know the impact that's going to have on, on everyone else. And so by inviting some of the operators in, they can kind of get a day by day, okay, well, here's what we're looking to do and here's what the impact is to us. And, um, and so that's something they've never done before. And they also want to have someone come in into the review process and do the same thing. And so, you know, this is something new for this year that they're looking to try out. Ernie, is there a way for our members to get involved in that? We, you know, being at the command center, have an open invitation from uh, Mike Artist to, to sit in anytime we want into any of those things. And so, you know, being there, we're welcome to engage in the process anytime we want. Through the CDM team is usually how I, you know, I've been personally trying to engage us. And so we basically are always kind of looking at ways of improving things. But I want to bring up two more uh, points just briefly, if I can. How does the root availability planning tool or RAP, how does that fit into the Purdy scheme here? Pete, the way the, the, the RAP tool uh, sits into this is probably in the execution phase. So... Uh, this is a tool that's being used in the New York Metroplex, and uh, they're going to continue to use it in some of the other larger Metroplexes across the uh, National Airspace System uh, going forward. But it is a real quick visualization tool that shows them the expected impact that weather might have along a route or at specific fixes uh, coming out of that particular metroplex area. Uh, one of the issues we've always had with New York being so complicated up there is we have the west gates and the south gates and the north gates, and it's very important for them to know which gates are going to be open and how soon they're going to be open or how much time is going to elapse that they're going to be closed. Uh, it, again, it's a visualization. It's, you know, green light, you're fine. Yellow light, caution, red light, you're not going through that uh, fix or that uh, down that route. Uh, so it's it's great. And um, the, the more they use it, the better they'll get with it. And this will allow them to, um, again, manage the NAS more efficiently and uh, safely and uh, going forward make life a little bit easier for everybody. I mean, if we can get two extra aircraft over a fix coming out of New York in any given hour on a convective day, that's a win. Guys, the last thing I think we can uh, squeeze into this great conversation is um, the the uh, the NOD, the NOD, the NAS Ops Dashboard. This is also a pretty popular tool. Ernie? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's definitely been... Um, something that that the operators and the fa are, are really in, interested in there's a lot of uh you know when we look at the tool we see a lot of capability and a lot of things that we'd like added to it to actually enhance it from a situational awareness standpoint to get everyone kind of on the same page and looking at one tool that provides a lot of good data for everyone guys as we uh, as we wind this up the, i want to ask the uh if there's anything that operators can do that our nbaa members can do to either help further this effort to reduce MIT or uh, to help themselves in, in a program where 
Uh, you know, it may be a rough day weather-wise. It may be a crowded day, maybe a holiday. How can we help ourselves take advantage of these tools? Dean, let me start with you. Well, as John had mentioned earlier, um, the fly.faa.gov webpage, um, the FAA gives us a ton of information um, on how they're managing the airspace that day, um, the reroutes that are in. Um, so flight operators should definitely be familiar with, with the tools and the information that are available on that website um, and how they can use that uh, to, to plan the, their flights uh, and, and reduce delay. So basically to try to get in front of the operational constraints by by filing the right route, understanding when um, the constraint might become uh, greater, uh, and just having a general knowledge of, of what the FAA is doing that day. So basically, you're, you're availing yourself of the information that's sort of derived uh, in this crystal ball procedure, right? Exactly. Um, and, and the FAA has, has been... Um, really great and trying to bring industry in um, or definitely bringing industry in to this process so so we can be a part of it uh, that allows um, both NBAA and as well as the airlines to to make decisions in advance based on the constraints that we know are going to be there or have a high likelihood of being there the next day John is there anything that uh, that we haven't touched upon that we need to I want to add two things. First is uh, to what Dean was just talking about. We call it file smart. <laughs> file early, figure out what you're doing, and as soon as you know that you've got a flight, uh, try and get that into the system up to 24 hours in advance through a flight plan service provider or whoever you're going to do that through to get it into the system so that you're known to man. Uh, file accurately. You know, a lot of our folks like to file 30 minutes in advance. Well, if you get caught in a program, the computer's going to try and give you that time. So that doesn't necessarily always help, and it's not showing the air traffic managers exactly where the demand is. Uh, and then Dean hit the third step, which is check the NAS. Use those fly.fa.gov web pages. If I'm in a position where I'm tentative at this point, I'm, I'm going to go uh, uh, from New York to, uh, to Palm Beach. Um, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Or I'm, in other words, it's not a solid trip. Do I still file on that, or is that a problem on the system? You know, Pete, if uh, you're more than fifty percent sure, I think you want to put that into the system and make it as accurate a guess as you can. Uh, if you're less than fifty percent certain, keep it out of the system. Um, just to you know, like you said, it, we don't want to put spurious flight plans in there. Sometimes people are putting two and three flight plans in because they're not sure exactly where they're going in an area. Um, that doesn't necessarily help anybody but them. Um, we we definitely want to uh, file as intelligently as we can, though. By the way, you've heard us mention it a couple of times in this conversation: the term swap or swap season. What we're talking about, of course, is severe weather avoidance program that we see FAA use so often during the months when convective weather is most likely. Ernie, some final thoughts? The first thing is they uh, have created an initiative where they want to staff uh, the NOM, which is the National Operations Manager, which is kind of the guy in charge of the command center, 
this summer. So they, they actually uh, told us last week that they, they've hired up to eight noms, so they're going to be fully staffed for the summer. So they're anticipating that to be really well. And then the other thing, too, is they've, they've made uh, the commitment with the uh, community to enhance the start departure positions, which they've used uh, sometimes in the past. But basically, uh, they put one person in the command center, and then there's one person in New York. And so their job is totally to fixate on departures and improving departures uh, for, the, for the New York metro environment. And so that's another commitment they've made for this coming swap season. That'll make a, a significant difference? I think so. I mean, because the issue is always that there's too many airplanes and the airspace is really, really tight there. You know, the, the corridors are, are very close for the departures and the arrivals. And so it doesn't take much weather to create chaos up there. And so the ability to to have someone actively looking at flights that they can create reroutes and things like that for definitely helps the system overall. Dean, uh, how about you take us home here? I was going to want to add one other um, a valuable part of the NOD uh, NASOPS dashboard is the surface surveillance uh, piece of it where whoever has this tool, they're able to see a snapshot of the airport and uh, see how airplanes are doing on the taxiways, how they're backing up. Because quite often on a swap day, um, you'll, you'll be getting aircraft in, but with the amount of departure fixes and airways closed, you won't be getting aircraft out or they'll be uh, departing at a very slow pace. So you see gridlock at these airports because too many airplanes are getting in, very little are getting out. So you actually run out of real estate and it's not just running out of gates for the, the major airline airports, but it's running out of taxiway volume as well. So that piece allows the folks at the command center to see how the airport's doing on the surface. So to that end, this is where where we really need to connect with, with air traffic services, MBAA. Correct. Um, you know, the fact that we're there on the ops floor, um, we have a finger right on the pulse of exactly what's going on. And we have access to the FAA um, colleagues that are making decisions, um, putting in these initiatives. Uh, so we're, we're on the front line, so to speak. Obviously, there's a lot to digest here, and the best way to learn more is to simply ask. And you can do that by sending an email to airtraffic at nbaa.org. And to keep up with late-breaking developments in the national airspace, follow Air Traffic Services on Twitter at nbaa underscore ATS. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan.